let's dive in. You guys ready? You got your books out? I see some people ready to learn. Good. I like it. Um, okay, so I got super jazzed preparing this message because we're going to talk about the name of God tonight. And since I, I was in college, I've been obsessed with names and we're going to dive into why, but I love names. I'm very bad at them, remembering them, but I love the meaning of names because it carries so much weight and power and just meaning. And in college, I used to walk down the streets and my mind would tell me that I knew people's names. So I'd be walking and I'd be like, what's up, Matt? And he would pass by me with a weird look. And my friend's like, that's Tyler. And I, oh, sorry. And then I keep going. But I was just so confident. I'm like, hey, what's up, Julie? That's Stacy. Like, I would get people's names wrong all the time. Has anyone ever had their name? Someone spoke to them the wrong name. It's kind of a, it's a little bit of a weird feeling, right? You're like, that's, it's a disconnect. You're like, oh, that's, that's not me. They don't know me, but they think they do, right? It's weird. So names have the power to connect us, and they also have the power to disconnect us. Um, I don't know if you've ever, has anyone ever gotten a call on the phone and somebody uses like your formal name and not your nickname and you know right away you're like this is a red flag they this is not somebody I actually want to talk to my real name is Nicole so when someone calls and says hey can I speak with Nicole I know it's either like the IRS it's the feds coming after me or it's a political campaign that wants my money so if anyone ever asks for Nicole I try to avoid that conversation likewise my name is Coley but if people come up to me and they're like hey Coley I understand that like a relationship has not been formed yet. I hope one does form. But when somebody says the wrong name, it tells you that they don't know you. But when somebody knows your name, when you hear your name, it brings about this relationship, this closeness. And nicknames and special names can do that even more so. So my dad calls me Kohler Bowler. He calls me, he has this, this funny accent. He's like, oh, hey, hey, Kohler Bowler, how's she going? He always says it. So my dad and people that know me well, will, will, they think it's funny. They'll call me Kohler Bowler. And when I hear that, it's like, oh, somebody knows me and they know my family. Or some of my friends will call me Coles. And then my nieces and nephews, they call me Coco because they can't say Coley. So if I ever hear someone say Coco, my heart is like instantly endeared to them of like, oh my God, I'll do anything for you. You know, we just names represent relationships, right? And the names that we use for each other and the name that we use for God defines how we see him and how we connect with him which is going to be what we're going to jump into today. So back in biblical times, back in the day of the Old Testament where we're reading, names had huge significance. They had really deep meaning. You didn't just like pick a name because you thought it was cute. It wasn't like, oh, I love Sophie. Let's go. It's cute. It rings well with our last name. That's not how they picked names. They picked them based on the character and the essence of the person. So names were almost like a substitute for character. I'm going to give you some examples of this. So Adam, a common name in our language, Adam literally means ground or dust because the Lord took him from the ground and said, from dust you came, from dust you shall return. That's what his name means, that he came from the ground. Eve, her name means living, and Eve would go on to become the mother of all living things, right? Um, Esau, if this is one, if you don't know, you're looking for a baby name, Esau means hairy. So that, I mean, if, you, if your child comes out with a little extra hair, that's a great one for you. But Esau was hairy, and he was the one that sold his birthright to his brother for a single meal. And his brother disguised himself with hair and got the blessing from his father. But that defined who he was. And we'll see that Isaac, Isaac meant laughter, because when Sarah heard she was 99 pregnant, she was like, <laughs> never. Boom. Isaac means laughter. That's what he was named his whole life. Um, 
and I actually did a little research because I'm a nerd. Um, remember when Cheryl talked about the two midwives who were named in the Bible? Um, I looked it up, and Shifra was one of them. Shifra means beauty, the beauty of someone who would stand against the de decree of Pharaoh to bring the community of God. And Pua is the other name, and Pua means to cry out. So here were two women who were named in the Bibles, and their names mean to cry out. And what a beautiful thing that they did, right? It saved an entire generation of Jewish boys. Um, so anyways, I'm a nerd. I love names. Moses means to pull up or draw out. He was drawn out of the river, and he would later, as we'll see, draw other people out with him, which is awesome. Um, but then there's also this thing in the Bible that God loves to do. He likes to change names. When there is a profound character switch or a heart switch in people, he will rename them. So for example, Abram, which used to mean exalted father. So think about that. Abram's born. He's called exalted father and he doesn't have a child. He doesn't have a son until he's 99. So the whole time he's walking around thinking, my name is pointless. My name means nothing. My name means exalted father. Then the Lord births him a son, gives him a promise, and changes his name to Abraham, which means father of the nations, right? He changes us. And with that change comes a different name. You, Saul is a great example. Saul meant asked for or prayed for. And if you remember, Saul was persecuting Christians. He was the high religion of the day, which is what people were praying for, that he would persecute the bad Christians and keep the religiosity but then the Lord had an encounter with him in Damascus, and his name switched to Paul. And I love this. I didn't know this. All the years that I've read Paul and love his work, I never knew what his name meant. His name means small or humble. How powerful is that to go from Saul to Paul, who, as we know, wrote a big chunk of the New Testament. It's his words that we store in our heart because he was humble enough to do whatever the Lord said. Isn't that cool? So our names have significant meaning to them because of the God who spoke creation into existence. So when a name, I mean, Alex is a great example. When you, if you've had a child or if you're going to have a child, you don't just randomly pick out of a hat or like, oh, looks like an Esau to me. You, you think about it. You spend time. You pray about it. You talk to people. You put a lot of emphasis. When you create life and give life, it matters what you name your child, right? I see some mothers in the room nodding at me. I've never had a baby, I don't know. But I imagine when that child comes forth, you're putting a name on them that they're gonna carry for the rest of their life. And that matters. And so names matter. Names carry the essence of who somebody is and who their character is. And so today, we're gonna dive in and we're gonna learn about the name of God and what it means and why it matters to us. So. If you have your books, get it out with me. We are going to be diving into Exodus 3, verse 10. Um, if you remember this, so God basically, so, okay, the first week we were asking, where's God? Where's God? Where's God? All the suppression's happening. No one's coming. Where is God? Week two, we show up, and suddenly he's in a burning bush, and we realize he is a holy God. He's righteous, and he's holy, and he knows what he's doing. He's got a plan. So we're coming right off the conversation where God's telling Moses what his plan is. So I'm going to read you verse 8 just to give a little context. It says, God saying, So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezzarites, Hivites, and Jebusites. You follow that? And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So here comes God. He shows up on the scene. He says, I know what's going on. I see it. I've heard it. I care. I'm going to do something about it. So at this point, Moses is like, good. It's about time he showed up. You know, great. So now we're going to jump into verse 10. This is what the Lord says. He says, so now, go. And Moses is thinking, wait, I thought, 
I thought you, you were going to, wait, you want me to go? He says, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. That question that Moses asks, who am I? We're going to go back to that. That's one of the fundamental questions of life that's answered in this text. And there's another one that's coming up. Moses said to God, uh, verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose, he's not even committing to the mission at this point. He's like, suppose, per Alex, just say, I'm willing to do this mission. Just say, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? So Moses knew who this God was, but what Moses was essentially asking in this verse was, tell me your character. Who are you? What's the essence that you want me to bring as a seal of delivery on your name? Tell me who you are. He's asking a deep, intimate question, not just give me the five, six letters of your name tell me who you are. And God says to Moses in the mic drop of the situation, God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. He says, this is my name forever the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezzarites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. So in this scene, we see two monumental questions that get asked, which I think is what consists of most society asking. The question is, who am I and who is God? That's essentially what Moses is asking. Who am I to do this and who are you that you're going to ask me to do it or do it through me? So we're going to explore those two questions this morning. But I want to share just a quote that I read from John Mark Comer before we jumped in. He says, often what we believe about God says more about us than it does about God. Our theology is like a mirror to the soul. It shows us what's deep inside. So often we bring our ideas of who God should be into the equation, right? We live in this society that basically makes God into our image of like, oh, I don't really like that, or I'm spiritual but not religious, or my God would never do that, right? We kind of, we form him in our image. And what we're going to explore today is that God with a name is defined, he is who he, he, he is. He says, I am who I am. He always has been and he always will be. And there's nothing that changes about him ever. And so our culture, our time, our language will put different stuff on him that is all us. It's our theology being projected out on him. That's not who he is. So today we're going to learn who he is in his name, in the truth of it and the beauty of it and the power of it. Um, so the first question is, who am I? This is what Moses asks him. So Moses, we have to remember, Moses is 80 years old. He's been on the bench for a long time. He has committed a murder. 
which is, I mean, kind of a felony back in the time. It's kind of a big deal. Committed a murder. He's on the most wanted list. He's on the FBI list. He is basically run away from the city that he grew up in, knowing that Pharaoh wanted to kill him. And now he's working as like a lowly secondhand farmer. He has not made anything for himself. He, the man is literally in hiding. Has anybody ever seen Parks and Rec? Think like Ron Swanson in his cabin. He doesn't want anybody to find him. He's alone. He's like with himself. He just wants to be in nature. Moses is hidden. He does not want to be found. And so when God shows up and reveals this plan, the first question Moses asks is, who am I to do this? I'm 80 years old. I'm a convicted murderer. I've been out of the game for 40 years. Uh, Who am I? right? And I think so often in our lives, when God asks us of something, we go right back to the question, who am I? Who am I to do this? I've made mistakes. I've had a divorce. I've gotten an abortion. I've, I've cheated on somebody. I've lied. I've not paid my taxes. I've hurt somebody. I've murdered somebody. I've been in jail. Whatever excuse we can think of, we'll bring it to God as our disqualifier, right? Oh, I'm not tall enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not the right skin color. I don't have the right name. I don't have the right education. I I haven't been to church in two weeks. I haven't been to church in 10 years. Whatever our excuse is, we bring it to God and we say, who am I, right? And I love this. I love this because this is what I would do. If somebody were serving under me and they they came and asked and they're like, holy, who am I to do this? The thing I would immediately jump into is I would build them up. I would, if I were God, I would have said to Moses, who are you? I drew you out of the river. I set you apart from the beginning. I covered you. I made you holy. I raised you in the palace of Egyptians so that you knew their culture. You knew how they thought. But I gave you a heart for the Hebrews so that you would go back and save them. If I were God, I would give him all the reasons why he's the person. But you know what? God didn't do any of that. God did not build up Moses' self-esteem. He didn't list off his resume. He didn't tell him why he could do it. This is what he said. God says, I will be with you. That was the answer that he gave. Not who are you. That's not the question. It's not the question God asks when he tells us to do something, when he invites us into his life-changing mission. He doesn't say, show me your skills, prove to me you're qualified. He says, I will be with you. I'm going to do it. I am who I am. And I don't know if you notice this, but there's a little bit of language that mirrors something in the future. There's this language of go, I will be with you. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Go, I will be with you. Moving to the New Testament, we see the Great Commission, right? Go into all the nations, preaching the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I will be with you. This is Jesus showing up right here. Go, and I will be with you. You see, the thing is, it was never about what Moses could do. He was 80, he was sidelined, he was convicted, he was out of the game. It was always about what God would do through him. It's like if LeBron James asked me like, hey, you wanna play on my team? I'd be like, what up, player? Yeah, I'll play on your team. But the reality is he doesn't need my help. I'm not gonna carry the game. I'm not gonna like make him a better player. I might pass him an assist, but he is going to win the game for us, not me. He's just inviting me along so I feel part of the team. God is inviting Moses along, saying, hey, I want to use you, but I'm going to do it. I will be with you. And I feel like some of us today, I don't know who you are, I don't know where you're at, but somebody needs to hear that God is with you. 
that you are not doing this alone, that you're not in your marriage alone, that you're not parenting alone, that you're not working alone, that you don't have to reconcile a relationship alone. God is with you and he's going to do it with you. When people used to say that to me, I always thought like, that's not very comforting. I still got to do crappy stuff right? Like, what do, I, what do I care if he's with me? And I thought about taking a really long road trip. I had to move a car once far distance and I had to go by myself. It was the worst thing in the world. Just me on the open road by myself. I was lonely. I was bored. I was getting tired. And if somebody would have been with me, I've been on road trips with friends. It's way more fun, right? You have someone to talk to. You have someone to process with. When you go to the gas station, they can watch the car. You don't have to get your stuff stolen, all that stuff. It's always, <laughs> I got weird stories. <laughs> It's always better to have somebody with you and it's always better to have the God of the universe with you. And so when God says, I will be with you, that doesn't mean that we're spared from hard things. It means that we don't have to go through that alone and he's going to do it through us. And I love that answer. Um, so in that thought of our identities, Moses identity, it's not achieved. We can't achieve something. We can't prove to God that we're worth Use me, I got an A+. Plus. No, our identities cannot be achieved. They can only be received. And by Moses receiving the I will be with you, he said, okay, I can do this because you're with me, which is the most important thing. Um, A.W. Tozer said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And what he means by that is what you think about God will shape your destiny. It will shape your life. If you have an idea of a cruel God, you will want to run from him and hide from him your entire life. If you have an idea of a small God who only does things for people with big bank accounts or who pray every day, you will not ask much and you will not rely on him much. The bigger your concept of God, the more true your concept of God, the more real your concept of God, it will change everything in your life. And so today what we're going to look at is we are going to look at who is God. Who does God define himself as? What does this passage tell us about our maker? What is God's name? That's going to reveal his character. So God reveals himself. I got to go back to my little printed out Bible here because I didn't on my little book in front of me. Um, so in verse 13, God says to Moses, I am who I am. That's the name that he gives. And so in the Hebrew, it's written in four letters, which this is what theologians call the tetragrammaton. Can you say that with me? Tetragrammaton. Next time you're in a casual conversation, just slip it in. People will think you went to seminary. Just casually, te oh, the tetragrammaton. Mm -hmm, I got gotcha. you. Um, this means a four-letter word. Because back in the day, sorry, four-letter, four letters. It defines a word. Four-letter word. Back in the day, they didn't have printers. They didn't have super copies. So copying and printing all that stuff it was a chore it was an effort they had a limited amount of stones and people had to scratch into stones what they were writing so that the oral t like history was passed on so what the hebrew language started doing to consolidate all the work because supercopy was closed is they started dropping the vowels to condense it to make more room to make less work for people and so when god says i am who i am in the hebrew writings it's a four-letter word that's y h w H. And nobody to this day can prove what vowels go in that word. Scholars have talked about it for a long time. The, the name that they've landed on that most people would say is God's name or what we consider to be God's name is they put an A in there and an E. Yahweh. Yahweh. 
that is the name of God. God gave Moses his name, Yahweh. And so the name Yahweh was so sacred to the people that they didn't speak it. It was too precious to them. Once a year, the high priest that would go in to the holies of holies to sacrifice, once a year, the high priest would speak it. And so people didn't want to mess with the holiness and righteousness of God. And so they gave it a different name, Adonai, which means Lord. So when you see the word the Lord or Lord in capital letters in your Bible, that is the name Yahweh. That is the name that God gave to Moses on the mount. That is his personal name that he shared with him. But it will be in the, the Lord because they wanted to protect it and they wanted to keep it sacred. And it means I am what I am. Whatever I will be, I will be. And it occurs over 6,828 6, times in the Old Testament. God's name is all over the Old Testament. And when you read it, every time you see L-O-R-D capitalized, that's God telling us his name. That's God telling us who he is. And so up until this point, remember we were asking, who is God? Where is he? Up until this point in the Bible, God has not given us that name. We have other names for him. God, Emmanuel, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Prince of Peace. But God speaks to Moses in intimate name, and it has profound repercussions for how we view God. And the first one is this. God is telling us he is a person. God is not an idea. He's not a concept. He's not this thing that's floating in the air. God comes down in human form and gives Moses his intimate friendship name. He says, I am Yahweh. It's like a Kohler bowler. It's a cocoa. It's, it's this intimate name that he shares with him to let him know I am a person and I am real and I see you and I'm, a, I'm somebody that responds. I have compassion. I'm not a God that's hiding from you. I'm not a God that's trying to keep myself from you. I am a God with a name and I want you to know it. This profoundly changes the way that we view God. For those of us who have spent our lives hiding from God, running from God, growing up with a fearful God, the thought of saying his name and having a conversation would be out of this world, especially for this time, where, and in time where God is so revered. And Moses hid his face, he was so afraid. But you and I know the Lord's name, and that changes how we interact with them, right? It changes when he says, this is who I am. You can have a personal relationship with me. Here's the thing. You can read all about God. You could read every book ever. You could go to seminary. You could study it. It's, it's not the same as meeting with, meeting with Yahweh and talking to him. That's like my sister. I love my sister. I have a little sister. Her name's Justy. She's one of my favorite human beings. I could get up here for hours. I could tell you everything about her. She's cute. She's little. She's a redhead. She's five foot. She has three kids. I could tell you every fact, everything she's ever done. That is not the same as me bringing her here and you meeting her and you having a unique relationship with her, right? It's a relationship. Yahweh is inviting us into a relationship with him. He doesn't just want us to know about him. He wants us to know him. And so he gives us his intimate name. He says, my name is Yahweh. I am who I am. That's profound. It's powerful. So the question isn't anymore, who, who am I? The question becomes, who is God? Who is this Yahweh who has bestowed his presence on us, who promises to be with us? He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
See, back in the day, they had an oral tradition, and people would know who the God of their forefathers was. And what, God, what God's doing is he's setting the scene to deliver his people, right? He's like getting all the play pieces together, and he's building this big moment where he comes on the scene and saves people. So what he's doing is he's preparing us to know who he is. And what he doesn't want to happen is he doesn't want to come on the scene, save the people, and they're like, who is that? What God is that? He's referring back to, I'm the same God. I'm the same God that made a promise to Abraham. I'm the same God that walked with Isaac. I'm the same God of Jacob. I'm the same God you've already known because I've chosen you as my people, right? It's like his stand. It's like when you go back to high school reunion, you're like, oh yeah, like I was in Miss Irish's third grade class too, right? Oh, that was you, right? He's like giving like his like whole, that's my history. I've been with them since the beginning. I've never forgotten you and I'm going to be faithful all the way through. So he says that three times in there. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's setting himself to be known to the nations. He said, that was me then. I have not changed. I am who I am and I will continue to be who I am. Um, in John 17, 26, it says, I made known to them their, your name. This is Jesus. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is Jesus saying the whole goal of the gospel is to make the name of God known, to make Yahweh known, to make the name Jesus known. There is no other name under heaven which men can be saved. And so God giving his name on the mountaintop begins this whole new journey of God proving his name. Remember, his character is his name. So he says, I am who I am. And whatever he, said, whatever he is, he will always be. So I am who I am. I'm patient. He will always be patient. I'm loving. He will always be loving. I'm faithful. He will always be faithful. He cannot falter. Does that give anyone hope? Does that give anyone peace that he does not change like our friends? He does not change like our families. He says, I am who I am, and I show up. And he attaches a promise to his name. He says, I will deliver the people. I will bring them up, and I will deliver them from their oppression. I will bring them into a land of milk and honey. So he's making his name right now known so that when it comes true, in years to come, people will say, oh, yeah, Yahweh, he's the one that delivered the Jews out of out of the oppression and out of the slavery. So there's three things that we learn about God from his name. I gotta keep them on my time here. Um, I'll be fast with these. The first one is that God, Yahweh, he longs to be known. He longs to be known. A.W. A. Tozer said, God waits to be wanted. I love that. I, my grandpa used to live in a nursing home and he didn't get a lot of visitors. And so whenever we would go visit him, he would just be sitting there and his face would light up when we walked in the room because he maybe didn't see anybody for 48 hours or a long time. And he would wait for those visits with us. And it always broke my heart to think of my grandpa just sitting there day after day waiting for someone to come visit him. And when I hear that line from A.W. Tozer, God waits to be wanted. He's just sitting in the wing of your life saying, desire me, want me, call on me. I'm your God. I want to be known by you. God waits to be wanted. God is a person. And my favorite part about that whole dynamic is he has a friendship with Moses. He's up on the hill and they're chatting it up. God's telling him to go. And Moses is like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to go. But what about this? And God's like, do this. And he's like, well, suppose I don't go. They're, they're friends. They're going back and forth. This isn't a one-sided relationship. This is a conversation, which is what you and I are invited into, to have a conversation with Jesus. And if you've never done that, I want to invite you, encourage you this week, 
have a dialogue with Jesus, do a back and forth, ask him a question and sit there and listen for him to respond to you because he's a God who wants to respond. So the first thing we learn about God is he longs to be known. He can be known. It's not something out there in the clouds. God is real and he wants to know you. That's the first thing we, we learn. The second is God defines us. We don't define him. God defines us. We don't define him. Uh, there was this theology teacher that every single semester, she would print out two pieces of paper. There were little questionnaires to get her to know, to know her students. Two pieces of paper, every student would get one. One they had to fill out for themselves, and one they had to fill out for what they thought God was like. So, Coley, God. And she said that every year, without fail, 90% of the answers were always the same for every student. 90%. What God likes, I like. God likes ice cream, I like ice cream. God doesn't like Democrats, I don't like Democrats. God doesn't like Africa, I don't like Africa. God loves Africa, I love Africa. We have this tendency as humans to make God in our image. And that's where we are in a generation of anxiety and depression and angst and despair because we're trying to be God. We're trying to be somebody that we're not. Our whole lives, the culture tells us, you define yourself, make yourself, be invented, figure it out. You can define you, right? Culture makes it all about us and the pressure and the weight to carry our own happiness and to be enough and to, to follow up to all those things, it crushes us. It crushes us. The reality is God has already defined us. And when we live by who he defines us as, it changes everything. It takes all the pressure off us to make something of ourselves and our lives. God says, you don't need to have any more followers. I've invited you to follow me. I've invited you in, into my list. Don't worry about how many people are following you or not. Follow me. That's where your joy is. That's where your freedom is. That's where your life is. It's when you turn to me instead of yourself. And I'm as guilty as anyone else in this culture. We think that our happiness is going to come out of us, right? We want to control things. We want to get what we want. We want everything in place. We, we think we have to do it. And God says, no. No, you don't have to define yourself. I've already defined you. God says, this is John 1, 12. Yet to all who did receive him, this is Jesus, yet to all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So when we believe in his name, he defines us. He says, you are a child of God. And for some of us, we've heard that their whole lives, and we're like, who cares? I'm, yeah, I know I'm a child of God. It doesn't feel any different. I was thinking about this. It's like, imagine 10 years ago, Meghan Markle. She goes to the palace, and she tries to get in. They're like, Meghan who? No, 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 you can't get in. Well, now, fast forward. Meghan Markle, her name is probably on the palace. She can get in no problem because of who she's with. She's with the prince, and so now that's her home. She has access, and the same is true of us. Without Jesus, we have no access. We have no permission, but when we know his name, the kingdom is open to us. It doesn't matter who you are. It matters who you know, which is true of life and death, right? When you get to heaven, it's not going to be who you knew down here. It's who you know up there, who's seated at the right hand of the throne. And it is not just up there that you can know him, which is why I don't want us to miss this morning. It is not up there that we know him. It was right now. It is today. It is letting God 
shape us and inform us and define us and work it out with him. Like Moses, he says, I'll be with you. Whatever God's calling you into, he'll be with you. He wants to do it in tandem. He doesn't want you to do it on your own because you and I cannot do it on our own. We can't. We're humans and we're broken and we make mistakes. And God says, I am who I am. I'm perfect. I'll show up. I'll do it with you. And so the last thing that, so God longs to be known. Talk to God this week too. God defines us. We don't define him. And the last one, God's name is the only name that saves. Jesus is the only name under heaven in which we can be saved. Acts 4.2, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So when God, sa- when God gives his name, Yahweh, I am who I am, the, the shorter version of that is I am. And you will see throughout the entire New Testament, which we don't have time to go through the day, how many times Jesus tells his name, I am. And you did this in your homework today. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. All through Jesus's ministry, he's proving the name that God said, this will be my name for generations and generations. Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, introduces himself as I am. And people are like, what blasphemy? No one can believe that he would dare take the name of the God of the Old Testament who called himself that. And yet Jesus comes in flesh and says, I am. And so this little, this little tiny chapter of the Bible is setting the stage for who God is, right? God is going to deliver his people up out of slavery, out of bondage. He's going def- to tell the people his name, I am, and this will be my name forever. And he's setting the stage for Jesus. Jesus, who's going to come and he's going to say, I am. And he's not just going to bring the Israelites out of oppression. He's going to save you and I and all the Gentiles and anybody who calls on his name. He's going to save them from death to life. And so when we think about the Old Testament, sometimes we think, well, you know, it's, Jesus isn't mentioned anywhere. Everything about the Bible is about Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing to him and everything in the New Testament is about him. So if you do not know Jesus, I want to invite you to know him. I want to invite you to call on him, to let him define your life so that you're not chasing your own path, trying to figure it out, making yourself your own God and constantly being disappointed and let down and angry and like, what is all this? It's too much for me. God longs to be known and he wants to invite you on that journey with him. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you are with Jesus. I don't know where you are with letting him into your world and letting him into your life. But I will tell you this, the word Jesus means savior. That is the name of Jesus. And he longs to save you. He longs to save you and me and all who will call on his name. And it doesn't just have to be in heaven. It's today. It's now. And you can start that relationship with him. The second. So we're going to pray. And I hope and pray that you talk to Yahweh this week, that you introduce yourself if you have not done so yet and see him as the God who sees you, hears you, cares for you, and wants to save you. So let's pray. Father God, Yahweh, thank you that you made your name known to us. Thank you that you have not forgotten us, Lord, in our sin and our misery and us trying to make life all about ourselves, Lord. You haven't abandon us and you promise to bring us eternal life through your son Jesus Christ and we thank you for that so I pray for any woman in this room God that does not yet know you I pray that she would encounter your name this week and that she would know the power that's in your name to save to make life 
where there is death, Father. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we thank you that we get to go chat it up at our tables. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.